Hello, friends, and welcome to the She Wolf Podcast. I am Devani Amber Wolf, your reluctant host. It is November 8th, and it's been quite a while since my last episode, as I've been navigating all kinds of changes in my personal and professional life. And all of those changes have been as a result of awakenings. And that will be the topic of this week's episode. But before I dive into the topic at hand, I'd like to take a moment to ask you to subscribe to my Substack. For those who don't know, Substack is like an old school blog and a newsletter rolled into one, meaning that when I write articles, they get sent directly to your email inbox. You don't have to go to a website to read them. Substack does, however, have an app that I recommend downloading because you can participate in meaningful conversations with me. There are free and paid subscription options. The paid option is $5 a month, and these subscriptions help to support me as an artist and a writer so that I may continue bringing you lots of free stuff like this podcast. You can find me at serpentfire.substack.com. All right, so enough of the preamble. And as I mentioned, it's November, and that's the month back in 2006 when I had my Kundalini awakening. Each year, I usually do something to honor this major transformation, but this year I wanted to broaden the topic of awakening to include all forms and shapes because awakenings do arrive to us in many, many ways. So firstly, what is an awakening? I feel like a good way to describe it would be to recall the allegory of the cave, also known as Plato's cave. In the allegory of the cave, Plato describes a group of people who have lived chained to a wall of a cave for all of their lives. The people watch shadows projected onto the wall from objects passing in front of a fire behind them and give names to these shadows. These shadows are the prisoner's whole reality, but they are not accurate representations of the real world. The shadows represent the fragment of reality that we can normally perceive through our senses, while the objects under the sun represent the true forms of objects that we can only perceive through reason. The prisoners cannot see any of what is happening behind them. They are only able to see the shadows cast upon the cave wall in front of them. The sounds of the people talking echo off the walls. The prisoners believe that these sounds come from the shadows. Socrates suggests that the shadows are reality for prisoners because they have never seen anything else. They do not realize that what they see are shadows of objects in front of the fire, much less that these objects are inspired by real things outside the cave and not real things themselves. A freed prisoner would look around and see the fire. The light would hurt his eyes and make it difficult for him to see the objects casting the shadows. If he were told that what he is seeing is real instead of the other version of reality he sees on the wall, he would not believe it. In his pain, Socrates continues, the freed prisoner would turn away and run back to what he is accustomed to, that is, the shadows of the carried objects. The light would hurt his eyes, and he would escape by turning away to the things that he was able to look at, and these he would believe to be clearer than what was being shown to him. Socrates continues, Suppose that someone should drag him by force up the rough ascent, the steep way up. 
and never stop until he could drag him out into the light of the sun. The prisoner would be angry and in pain, and this would only worsen when the radiant light of the sun overwhelms his eyes and blinds him. Slowly, his eyes adjust to the light of the sun. First, he can see only shadows. Gradually, he can see the reflections of people and things in the water, and then later, he can see the people and the things themselves. Eventually, he is able to look at the stars and moon at night, until finally he can look upon the sun himself. Only after he can look straight at the sun is he able to reason about it and what it is. So, in essence, the idea is that prior to an awakening, we may be living in some kind of illusion, smallness, darkness, sheltered comfort. And the awakening breaks open the walls of illusion, allowing us to see the full depth and breadth of the void itself. This is what my Kundalini awakening was like, but there have been so many other forms of awakening that I've experienced that defining an awakening as purely spiritual in nature, without honoring its other facets, would be a mistake. An awakening is to be brought into more fullness, awareness, consciousness, wonderment, devastation, decay, rot, compost, a bird's eye view after having a mouse's viewpoint of the forest floor, any significant shift away from what we deem to be our normal conscious and unconscious experiences of ourselves and the world. It is not easy, no matter what it is about, because the rub of an awakening is, you can never go back into the cave knowing what you know now. What has been experienced cannot be unfelt, unseen, unheard, unperceived, unembodied, unrealized. It would be like growing a thousand sizes and still trying to fit through your apartment door. Alice in Wonderland, you're now the literal size of a house. You can only peer through the windows at your previous life and notion of self. You have to mosey onwards and find a dwelling or a vast expanse that now suits your consciousness. It is one thing to simply think of an awakening in all of its stages, and another altogether to actually experience them. One may think themselves prepared for what this unfolding will create, but the terrain is often more bumpy than we realize. When I say that we cannot unknow, unsee, unfeel, unembody, we really truly can't. This is sometimes for better, but sometimes it is for worse, if temporarily. In this graduation of perception and awareness, we know deep down, even if we were clamoring to return to who and what we once were, a far more comfortable and understood version of life, that we cannot do anything except live in this graduation, in this new, often explosive reality. Trauma is a form of awakening. Trauma can be defined as an experience that is so immense in nature that we cannot process it emotionally or physically as it is happening in those moments. Most of us are unable to discharge the energy that is generated during a traumatic event as well, so it lives on in our bodies like an invisible guitar player plucking at the strings of our nervous system. The very nature of trauma is that we had a life before it and after, and there's a lightning strike of a divide between the two. We become far more aware of the possibilities of life and how it can interact with us. As fellow writer Sophie Strand says in her essay, We Must Risk New Shapes, she says, Life is a process of 
addition, a concatenation of matter. Even your solitary self must inhale air. Where does life live? In the air or your lungs? In a time when safety has become the goal of psychology and political discourse paired with the talismanic abstraction of boundaries, I want to offer that becoming new is never safe. Survival is never safe. It is always a breach, a break in the skin. It is a leap across the abyss. It is the moment you leap into another body. I am a body plus. A body plus trauma, plus illness, plus pollen, plus spores, plus caretakers and friends and loved ones and wild kin. And I agree, life is a process of addition. It may feel like subtraction at times, like the loss of a pet, a beloved person. But for what we've lost, we've also gained something or many things. Grief, a new way of looking at the world, the knowledge of that pain and mourning where there was no knowledge before, the awareness of the absence, the places all of these emotions take up residence in the body, etc. All of the aforementioned is an awakening. We just don't want them a lot of the time. They're unwelcome, sometimes permanent house guests. And of course, we don't want trauma. We don't wish for anything bad to happen to us or, or anyone we know for that matter. We don't want to change in this way. It feels like an invasion, a violation, even sometimes. This process can feel much like being coaxed onto a roller coaster and screaming, no, 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 as we ascend the first hill. Whether or not we want to plummet down and be briskly guided around all of the corners and loop-de-loops isn't really up to us anymore. We are on the ride, it's happening, and that's that. Each time we have a major realization about someone, a disillusionment, each time we become keenly aware of a global crisis, or experience some kind of emergency. We are taken for a ride that will ensure that we are different people by the time it is over. The difficulty is in the resistance in wanting to go back to old forms of being. As we've already discussed, we can't. So the resistance is a painful futility that keeps us stuck in wishing for a state of consciousness that has been blown wide open. We may wish to go back into the cave, but we can't, so we suffer. In my experience, even if the awakening is ultimately for the best, even if I know this from the outset, I usually have to go through a period of resistance and wishing that I could return back to my cozier, more ignorant, more sheltered existence. I mean, it was just more pleasant, period. Who wouldn't want to feel existentially cozy after all but the circles of life widen as we live them and that reminds me of my all-time favorite poem by Rainer Maria Rilke which is called widening circles and it goes I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world I may not complete this last one but I give myself to it I circle around God around the primordial tower. I've been circling for thousands of years and I still don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? 
I love the idea of giving oneself over to the widening circle, but not really knowing what shape you belong to. A falcon, a storm, a great song, a beetle, a tree in the autumn season, a wolf howling. And as Sophie Strand said in her piece that I referenced a bit earlier, as we live, we become a body plus. We are, after all, a sum of all of our own experiences and even other people's experiences. Awakenings, traumas, realizations, revelations, widening circles are all ways that our consciousness merges with life and becomes something new. In the novel Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, Area X is this mysterious, nebulous place where the boundaries of quote-unquote self and other bleed, and one being takes on the characteristics of another, making new forms of life that have these eerie and mystical echoes into past and future simultaneously. We may not be able to see these mergings with our own naked eyes in our own daily lives, but each time we allow our consciousness to grow and each time the universe forces our consciousness to grow by way of our simply living within it, we merge. In fact, there is no truly separating ourselves from it. We are it. We are awakening. This is why it is important to not cause ourselves undue suffering by attempting to turn a blind eye to the increase in inner sight. We must instead learn how to live with our eyes wide open and welcome the widening circles, despite the vastness and the mystery inherent in them. Each time we encounter the void, we are encountering the ultimate truth, which is that we don't know fuck all about anything. Our coziness and shelteredness was only ever going to be a temporary state because the nature of the universe is infinite and the nature of life is constant change, constant risk. Some of that risk is painful, some of it traumatic. And as Rilke said, we must give ourselves to it. This is the only way to be awake and also regulated. So what does giving yourself to it look like for you? Does it look and feel like surrender, acceptance, running towards it, embracing it, not cowering from the realities of life? Does it look like something softer, like allowing bits and pieces of the truth to come cascading in in a gentle, titrated way? Do we hold the pain of awakening with the joy of expanding consciousness? Can we hold both? I believe we can, but I also believe that it takes practice. So that's it for now, my friends. I urge you to keep the flames of awe stoked in your hearts as much as you can right now. I know that it's hard, but try to tend to the tenderness. Life is difficult, and there's no getting around that. But we have each other, and that counts for something. And I will be back again sometime, but until then love and wolves.